Let's pray before we begin. Father, we come before you uh, humbled, expectant. We ask, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with uh, an understanding of your word and a willingness to obey what your word teaches us. We might walk with you, that you might be our God, and that you might guide us through your spirit to the rest of the service and into your word, Jesus. Amen. A father's legacy. What do you hope to leave behind as a legacy? We're motivated to, to care for those we love. We take out such things as life insurance. We draft wills so that we can uh, leave to our families uh, property, money, possessions. But a legacy is much more than possessions or life insurance. As disciples of Jesus, we want to leave a legacy of faith, character, strength, trust in the Lord. But even if we bequeath these types of legacies, it doesn't mean that those who receive it will receive it as we hope. Joshua in chapters 23 and 24 was nearing the end of his life. It was a very long and adventurous life. And he was worried as a father to the people of Israel that they may not continue to live in the legacy of the covenant of their forefathers with God. Now he had good reason for concern. Think about Joshua. He was there in Egypt. He served Moses during the Exodus. He saw firsthand how the people disbelieved God repeatedly. He was one of the 12 men who was chosen to go spy out the promised land, only to see 10 of the 12 bring a bad report and discourage the people so that they disobeyed God. Joshua watched an entire generation of brothers and sisters, of family members, who were 20 years and older, never enter the promised land as punishment for disobeying God. Joshua wandered the wilderness with the people. He watched Moses struggle with the burdens of a rebellious people until the day God once again brought them back to the edge of the promised land. By now, Moses commissioned Joshua as the next leader, even as Moses breathed his last. Over the next years, Joshua oversaw, he led the people as they gradually learned to obey God by taking possession of the land that God promised. By the time we arrive at Joshua 23, we read, a long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all the surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel. He was getting ready to die. And he knew the fickle character of his people, erratic behavior, temperamental, emotional, complaining, grumbling, rebelliously, easily forgetting their God. And at times, 
not wholeheartedly being with God. So in his last days, Joshua calls together the elders and the leaders and the people. He calls them together to make a decision whether or not they would live in the legacy of the covenant. And in chapter 23, like any father who has advanced to years, he is concerned what will happen when he is gone. So he expresses his hopes and his fears and his expectations. He begins by saying, remember what the Lord has done for you. Don't forget the experiences you've gone through, how you've watched him work. He says, I am now old and well advanced in years. He was approaching probably 110 years old. And you have seen all the Lord your God has done to these nations. All for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Don't forget your heritage. Don't forget God's faithfulness. Remember who is your God. And as a result of this knowledge and experience, later on he says, therefore, as you remember, therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Turning aside from it neither to the right nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done this day. You know, it takes courage and commitment to keep following the God. Joshua describes this as clinging to God, holding fast to him. If you've ever had something on your hand, like some honey or a, a sticky thing, and you can't get it off your hand, you know, that's clinging to you. He's saying, stick to God, hang on to him. It's not going to get any easier when I'm gone. But you have to cling to him and hold on to him. Because Joshua's hope is that they remain faithful and true to the covenant that God has given them. And he says to them, and now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. I'm going to die. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you, not one of them has failed. You see, here's the issue, an issue we face today. Every generation, every person must choose for themselves to keep the covenant and not rely on the faith of their fathers. We can't live in the faith of our fathers. We live in the faith that we possess. And this is so important that in the next chapter, chapter 24, Joshua again calls the people together to renew the covenant by first reminding them of God's earlier covenants and then for their need to renew and recommit themselves to their Lord. And this was covered last week by Ed. The Lord's covenant. I want you to remember, remember those, those two words in red, the Lord's covenant with his people. In these few verses of chapter 24, as we discussed last week, Joshua reminds the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
the Abrahamic covenant, the place where God actually decided, you will be my people. I'm going to create a people, not choose a people. I'm going to make a people through the descendants of Abraham. You should belong to me, the first covenant after Noah's covenant. And he talks about Moses and Aaron going to Egypt and how God then called his people out of Egypt in the Mosaic covenant in the Exodus where God's people are now redeemed to live before God. And so he gives them a law. He says, this is how I want you to live before me. I'm going to give you regulations and rules, stipulations, things that you're to do as my people. I've made you my people. Now I'm telling you what to do and how to be my people. Unfortunately, the rebellion occurred, and they were forced in the wilderness for 40 years. And then the promised land was received, as Joshua recounts. Now all that's happened, now we're here, now we're in the land taking possession. The Lord has kept his covenant with you. He's made you a people. He's rescued you from Egypt. He's given you the promised land. But one question remains that I must ask you, he says of his people, and it's not yet answered. Will this generation continue to live in covenant with the Lord, or will you turn away? And again, each person that he spoke to on that day, thousands of years ago, needed to make a decision for themselves. As we come to Joshua 24, verses 14 to 28, our main passage for this morning, we're going to learn that this passage is about Joshua calling the people to choose to renew their commitment to Yahweh's covenant, which he gave through Moses, and to demonstrate their obedience by putting away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. So now I want you to notice something. Remember I said to remember the Lord's covenant in red? Now look what Joshua does. He says, the people's covenant with the Lord. A covenant is not just one party. It's two, at least two. We have the Lord's covenant. He's faithful. Now he says, I need your response. Will you be in covenant with me? It's the people's covenant now with the Lord that Joshua calls them to make a decision about. And he begins by saying, in verse 14, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. That's what the men sang about this morning. It's an excellent introduction and application to the message we're talking about. Fear the Lord. It means to have reverence, to have respect, an attitude of awe and honor, true devotion. That's fearing the Lord. And to serve him. You know, in this chapter 24, Joshua mentions the word serve 16 times. 16 times. I think it's important. It's emphasized. And service is exclusive. You serve the Lord God and nobody else. Not yourselves, not the foreign gods, not anything else but him. And it's with sincerity or integrity, with honesty and in obedience. All to be demonstrated by your actions. Words are easy. It's easy to say lots of things. We hear it all the time. But actually doing it demonstrates that your words are true. 
And so he's, he says, put away the gods that your fathers served. Putting away is to abandon, to walk away from. They're behind me. I'm going to ignore them now. They're gone. They're history. I'm focusing solely on the Lord God. I'm going to serve him alone. And as an example of what Joshua says, he says, I don't, you know, whatever you people decide to do, that's your choice. But as we sang in the song, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's Joshua's declaration. That's what he does as a leader. He says, this is the direction we're going in to serve the Lord. You can come along or you can stay. It's up to you. A leader can't decide for his people what they're going to believe. Only they can decide. And so the people now have a chance to respond. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake, turn away from, abandon the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also, Josh, we also will serve the Lord for what? He is our God. He's not just the God of Moses or Isaac or Joshua or my father my grandfather, he's my God. That's a declaration that they're making. And based upon this confession, Joshua says, okay, let's, let's move forward. But I have a question for you. Don't be so hasty and say you're going to serve the Lord. Because here's the reality check. This is a serious matter to say, yes, I'm going to serve. It's easier in a group of people, yeah, yeah, we're going to serve. Yeah, let's do it. Joshua says, wait, wait a minute. But Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. And he will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done good to you. This is a serious matter. You cannot serve the Lord. You want to. That's your desire. But how can you? It's a very challenging thing. It reminds me of a person who was buying a, uh, went to buy a car. And the salesperson was skillfully directing the person to choose the car that he wanted to buy. And he said, well, there's, there's this model here and there's this model here. And, and, uh, and the person said, well, I'd like this model. And he said, are you sure? You really want that? You know, it's awful expensive. You know, all the extras and things. You know, I, I, I recommend this one over here. No, no, I really want this one. You see what he was doing? He was taking a desire, and he was amplifying it by saying, no, you shouldn't do it. You can't have that. Well, yes, I, yes, I want that. Joshua, in a way, is, is doing this. And he's saying, you can't serve the Lord. Why? Because he is a holy God. He is holy. He's unapproachable. He's set apart. He's pure. Despite the commitment to serve, remember to whom you are serving. Woodstra in his commentary says it this way, Joshua simply wants to confront Israel with the seriousness of the solemn promise they just uttered. 
It's a danger of overconfidence. Remember who you're serving. Think carefully about your promise because God is listening and he will hold you to it. He also says that God is jealous. A better word for today in our society is zealous. When you heard the word jealous, what do you think? Oh, it's selfish, it's sinful, you know, that's not what it's meant here. Worcester again helps us. He says, when that holiness is violated by sinful men, it expresses itself as jealousy. It's God's zeal for the maintenance of his honor. You see, God is zealous and guards his holiness. He will not be mocked. We see him mocked in our society all the time. Don't worry. A day is coming when God will say, I will not be mocked. I'm giving you a chance now to turn from that. But if you don't, there are consequences, many consequences. And that's why he says he will not forgive your transgressions or sins. A transgression essentially is a, a premeditated, willful act of disobedience. I know what God says, but I want to do this. I'm going to do it. Whereas a sin is a missing of the mark. God says to do this for his uh, rituals at the time of Joshua. We didn't quite get it right. We missed the mark. That's a sin. The idea here is that Joshua wants to make clear is that forgiveness of transgressions and sins is never to be flippantly assumed. We're all in danger of that. Yes, I know I'm forgiven. God will forgive me for this and I'm going to do. Uh, and we take it in a very flippant, arrogant manner. Of course he loves me. Of course he's going to forgive me. Why wouldn't he? He's God. And God says, really? I take sin very seriously. This isn't a game we're playing here. It's a serious matter. I'm holy. I'm set apart. It's cost a great deal to secure your forgiveness. Because sins are forgiven due to a miracle of God's grace. Because sin always calls for punishment by a holy God. Always. He doesn't just say, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'll ignore that. No problem, I'm not gonna ignore it. No, there's always a consequence to our actions. The Lord will not condone apostasy. And as Joshua stressed, there are real serious consequences of rebellion against God. So this is, he just stated this. And then he says to the people, you were, oh, sorry, what does he say here? Yeah, you were witnesses. I think I missed a slide. If you forsake the Lord, okay. Anyway, all the people expressed the desire. I was getting ahead of myself in the slides. The people said, no, we hear what you're saying, but no, we're going to serve the Lord. We, we choose to do this. And so Joshua then says, okay, you are witnesses against yourselves that you've chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we're witnesses. We witness against ourselves. When I read this, I was thinking about being a witness against yourself, and I remember the story. It was a father, Sunday afternoon, at home, and his four-year-old daughter was misbehaving, just being a real pest. He couldn't relax, he couldn't read, he didn't do anything. It was all over the place, driving him crazy. And so he blurted out to her, if you go to your room, and she's four, 
If you go to your room and memorize John 3.16, I'll give you a cookie. The whole afternoon he had peace and quiet. She took off. Well, that seemed to work, he thought. By the time dinner came, when he and his wife were making dinner, his daughter marched into the, the kitchen, hands on hip, and she shouted out John 3.16, and then did this. And they're both surprised and impressed. And while his wife was beginning to praise the daughter for this amazing you know, memorization, she said, no, 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 no. Daddy promised me a cookie if I memorize John 3.16. And his wife looked to him, really? Before dinner, you bribed our daughter to memorize scripture? And he sheepishly said, well, I didn't think she'd do it. I didn't think she could do it. This is an example of witnessing against yourself. He had witnessed against himself that he would do this if she managed to memorize a verse in the Bible. And in the end, they all agreed that a cookie after dinner would be the best solution. I'm in no way recommending this as a means to help your children memorize scripture. If they're very successful, you're gonna have a very large child on your hands. And we don't want that. Joshua was calling his people to promise. And that promise would be measured by their actions. And they were saying, we will do this, we're witnessing against ourselves. We all hear us, each one of us saying it. So he says, okay, if you're serious now, put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. You may think to yourself, you know, they were in Egypt a long time. They wanted the wilderness 40 years. Why would anybody still have a foreign god in their midst? How could anybody think about following the idols of the peoples they just conquered? I want you to think about this. Many household idols were made of silver and precious metals, skillfully made, and they were very valuable, very expensive. They were family heirlooms, heirlooms. They were uh, antiques, handed down from father to father. This is our household idol. It's valuable. Or it could mean you have an inner idol that you're not giving it up yet. You're gonna hold on to that. In other case, it's not easy necessarily to give that up, to discard it, because it is a value. And Joshua's saying, if you're serious about serving the Lord, these have to go. Whether a physical object or a sentiment in your heart, where you're holding back. Yeah, I'm for Yahweh, but I got a little piece here I'm keeping in reserve for a family idol or a local God, just to hedge my bets. God says, it's me or nothing. Either you're with me or you're not. And so we asked them to affirm. The people said, the Lord our God, we will serve, and his voice, we will obey. So Joshua says, great, let's sign a covenant. Let's put it in writing. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. 
And he took a large stone and he set it up there under the terebinth, the tree, that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, you see this stone here? Behold the stone. It shall be a witness against us. Notice he says against us. He's now part of the people. For it has, the stone, this inanimate object, has heard all the words of the Lord, of the, of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua itemizes their obligations as statutes and laws. He writes it down. So there's a record of it. True covenant. And he has this rock, this silent, enduring witness. This rock will be here when you're gone, when your kids are gone, when their kids are gone, and when their kids are gone. It's going to be right here as a testimony to the promise you make today and the promise your children have to make, and they have to make thereafter, the grandchildren. And so then Joshua, at the end of it all, sends the people away, every man to his inheritance. Go now and live in obedience to what you've just promised, including to complete the acquisition of the land that God had promised. You're not finished yet. There's more to do. Unfortunately, when you turn the page or look across to the next page from Joshua, what book do you come to? Judges. And what is Judges about? Failure. The inability to serve God. The inability to keep the promise that you kept, that you said you'd keep. Now the wonderful news, the amazing news, is that in the course of time, God would bring a perfect and complete covenant that endures forever. And unlike previous covenants, like the Mosaic Covenant, this covenant would transform people. It would change people on the inside. They'd be different. And this is where we are here today, now. We're not back in Joshua's time. We're here today in a different time. We come with a new covenant, the Lord's covenant. You see, the reality that Joshua recognized in 2419 was that you are not able to serve the Lord. You can't do it. You'll try, but you can't do it. And guess what? The same question was raised to Jesus of Nazareth. In Luke 18, and a ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a great question. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So you realize when you're calling me good, you're calling me God. You understand that? I don't know if he did. But Jesus continues and he says, you know the commandments, the statutes and the rules in the covenant? Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. It's Father's Day, we honor our fathers. Last month, mothers. But it's not one day of the year, it's every day we honor our parents. And Jesus said, uh, the man said, and all these things I have kept from my youth. I've maintained all these things. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad. 
for he's extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier to go for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And then the comment by the people. Those who heard Jesus said it, then who can be saved? If a person is blessed by God with wealth, cannot get into the kingdom, then what hope is there for the rest of us? And Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. How can God make the impossible possible? After four expressions of the covenant, of the first covenant, and countless generations of people who were unable to fully obey the Lord, what now is going to change? One thing for certain, God doesn't change. He's the same. The same God who, who was leading Joshua and calling the people to obey him is the same God today that is calling you with the same question. So, as God has planned all along, he was going to bring something new, a new covenant, a better covenant, a covenant to fulfill the first one. And so we hear this in Hebrews 6.13. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent since it is enacted a better promises. For if that first covenant that Joshua talked about had been faultless, there'd be no need or occasion to look for a second. And I want you to hear these words. See if they sound familiar to our, from our discussion today. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I showed no concern for them. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my laws in their minds, write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know him, from the least to the greatest. For I'll be merciful toward their iniquities, and I'll remember in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what's becoming obsolete and going old is vanishing away. So what is this new covenant? What is this amazing thing that God is now introducing and has introduced to the world? Well, the new covenant is Jesus the Messiah. He is the covenant. Jesus at the Last Supper said, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Next Sunday, we're going to celebrate that. We celebrate every month this very event, the bringing of the new covenant. Now, Joshua's concern long ago was that the people would continue the legacy of being faithful to God's covenant. And now it's once and for all been answered in the new covenant. And so the new covenant is received and renewed. And this is a testimony that God gave us eternal life. This life is in his son. Whoever does not have the son, whoever has the son, has life. 
whoever does not have the Son does not have life. It's black and white. God says you serve me or you don't. It's up to you. I say choose life, but it's up to you. And then John at the end of his gospel says, but these are all written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and then by believing, you may have life in his name because the new covenant brings life. And this new covenant is impossible without Christ. There's no way to achieve it. That's been tried. It failed. God bought something different and new because we could not keep it. It was impossible to keep it. So now it's only possible with Christ. But God shows his love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. For the grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In the old covenant, you worked, you sacrificed, you kept the Sabbath, that all these things as requirements to demonstrate your adherence to the covenant. And now God says, what's changing is, I'm changing the inside of you. This is a gift. And it's the last covenant. There's no more after that. This is it. This is it. Peter tells us, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in flesh and made alive in the spirit. The death and the resurrection of Christ brings the new covenant into reality. You may recall earlier that I said that um, God does not treat sin lightly, that every sin must be paid for. Well, here it is. Christ paid for that. We benefit from his forgiveness because he took every sin that we've committed, that I've committed, and he has paid that penalty. Otherwise, I pay myself eternal separation from God. That's the way it is. That's God's plan. That's his way. A way of grace for us. Joshua in his last days called the people to decide what they're going to do. Are they going to serve God or not? Now the better and final covenant of God is before us. But so was the same question. Time to decide. Sitting on the fence is painful. It doesn't get you anywhere. We cannot depend upon the faith of our ancestors, our parents, our grandparents, or upon those we admire. Every generation, every person needs to decide for themselves. So it's time to decide to be in covenant with the Lord. You could be here this morning and you could be saying, you know, I've gone to church all my life. Uh, my parents brought me here when I was a baby. Uh, and uh, I'm, I think I'm okay with God. And God is saying, you haven't made a decision yet. That was your parents' decision, not your decision. You have to take a decision for yourself. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. For truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, that is the words of Jesus, and believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. He also says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my, my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of his hand. If God is speaking to you, you know it. 
you hear his voice. You can't get away from it. It's there with you. And I urge you today, if you've never actually made a decision for Christ, or if you're not sure, you know, I'm not sure if I'm good with God or not. I have some doubts. What's going on? If I'm really, you know, following him or not. Today's the day to decide. Either at the pew yourself or come to the front after the service. If you want some questions or prayer, today is the day. Today is the day to decide, am I going to serve God? Will I put my life in his hands so that God can transform me and forgive me? So I can live in obedience to him and be freed from the sins of the past. Now, you may sit there and go, okay, great. That's, that's great. I'm already saved. I gave my life when I was uh, six years old. I was baptized when I was 20. Uh, I've gone to Bible college. You know, I, I'm, I'm there with you. Well, it could be time for you also to make a decision. It could be time to renew your covenant with the Lord. We all drift. You could be watching this at home, thinking, I've been to church for two years. It's really easy to get up late, keep on the house coat, have a cup of coffee, watch the service. Okay, I'm good. And that's true, it could be. But it may mean that it's, uh, it's easy to slip away. It's easy to drift from day to day. We get busy. Oh, I haven't prayed to God today or all week. In fact, I went up in my Bible last time. Huh. It's easy to drift. Really easy. Unless you have an anchor set to hold you in place, it's easy to drift and you think you're okay. Well, it could be today is time to reaffirm your covenant, time to rededicate yourself to the Lord. It's time for the rest of us to honestly have a conversation with God by ourselves and say, Lord, am I really serving you? Or am I just relying on the past, past decisions, my parents' faith. Am I really serious, Lord? I know it's impossible to serve you because you're holy, and that's why Christ came. So perhaps I need to confess that. I need to come to you and say, Lord, I want to rededicate myself to you. Not in my own effort. This isn't about effort. I want to put myself in a place, in a position where you can transform my life and show me how I'm supposed to live it before you. And to agree with Joshua when he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We are and we will. So it's time for us to decide. And again, if you're in a position where, you know, I need some help on that, come to the front after the service. I'll be here so the deacons can join me. We'll pray for you. We'll walk with you as you rededicate yourself to the Lord. Perhaps that's why you're here this morning. Well, I didn't know I was going to talk about that. If I hadn't known that, I wouldn't have come. There should be warnings given in this church. What's going to be said? God's word is God's word, and it speaks to us when it speaks to us. Ask yourself, what will be your legacy? As a father, as a mother, as a friend, as a neighbor, as a mentor to somebody, as an influencer to somebody, friends at work, colleagues, what kind of legacy do you want to leave then? I hope your answer is it's a legacy of faith. It's a legacy of trusting God. And that may mean for today it starts for some of us, and for others it may be a continuation where we say today I want to continue to do that.
I've drifted too long, too often, and now it's time to come back. I can't use COVID as an excuse anymore. It's time to follow the Lord and serve him. Let us pray to the Lord before final song. Father, we thank you for your covenant. We thank you, Lord, for all that we have in your word and we see what you've been doing and we see how you've given faith to believe and conviction to know this is truth, your truth, the absolute truth. We thank you, God, for calling us into covenant relationship with you. We thank you for loving us, for drawing us, for filling us with faith to believe. And Father, we pray that if anyone is here who feels that tug of your voice on their heart, whether to give themselves to you for the first time or to rededicate themselves, that they would, Lord, that they would not leave today without talking with you. Jesus, we place this before you and we look forward to what you're going to do and how you're honored and how you bring honor to the Father. And we lay these things at your feet, Jesus, as we pray. Amen.